Welcome back to the Indo Techno Podcast, Season 3, Episode 26. I'm Alan Hallowell, venture partner at leading early stage Indonesian VC, AC Ventures, and founder of startup consultancy Gizmo Advisors. Now, Indonesia generates approximately 6.8 million tons of plastic waste every year, according to the Indonesia National Plastic Action Partnership, or NPAP. One of the country's biggest problems is how it can sort its waste. Historically, almost none of it has been sorted. Today, we have the opportunity to welcome Hamish Daud, co-founder and CMO of circular economy startup Octopus, to discuss problems and solutions to Indonesian waste. Thanks so much for joining us, Hamish. Hello, Alan. Yeah, look, thank you for having me on the show. Good to connect with you again. Likewise, bud. So now, Hamish, you have roughly 100% name recognition with Indonesian listeners. Given your past work as an actor in productions such as Critical Eleven, Gangster, Love You, Love You Not, and many other hit titles. As you somewhat indelicately referenced in our previous discussions, you transitioned from the entertainment industry to focus on the issue of rubbish. Now, at first blush, this phraseology looks like a pretty radical downgrade in your job spec, but tell us about this transition. It was an honor for me to be involved in the entertainment industry. And I still am. I'm just taking a little bit of a breather to chase my passion or my, my ikigai. I was involved in architecture and design for a good 15 years. And I just got to a point where I really wanted to give back and to be more involved in educating Indonesian people about how magnificent Indonesia is. So I created a TV show where we traveled around and we discussed with different villages, their way of life, their culture, their art their history, their religions, and it was something that took off. And, you know, with all that screen time, I was able to be involved in movies and their sponsors were good. And I maximized and utilized that exposure that I had for chasing my passion, which was conservation of the Indonesian ocean. And with that, we put together a, a marine conservation NGO called Indonesian Ocean Pride to try to reconnect Indonesia back to the ocean. This is a maritime country with the most biodiverse marine ecosystem on the planet. And with all the projects that we're doing, wonderful projects, there's none of that if the ocean is still full of plastic. So I took it upon myself to really just dive headfirst into figuring out a way to help minimize the waste that we consume for post-consumed items going into our oceans. Well, you're clearly in a unique position to have quite a bit of impact in that mission. I wanted to just continue the discussion around this transition. What continuities and discontinuities have you encountered in transitioning from entertainment to startup co-founder? Entertainment is people getting entertained. Television shows, movies, it's fun to watch. It's light. It makes people feel good. The transition to what our organization does is dealing with rubbish and informal sector, which is very not entertaining. So. I guess there was a little bit of a shift there with what I was providing to my audience. And it takes time. All these new ideas, all these new angles that we want to approach always takes time for people to adjust and to see and to normalize what they're seeing. So yeah, what I'm doing now is not exactly entertaining anymore. <laughs> Arguably far more profound an impact on our compatriots' lives if you're successful. 
So set the stage for us here. Your startup octopus is focused on the circular economy. In my mind, the circular economy can refer to any number of initiatives. It can be products being made to last longer, communities sharing resources and saving money, businesses maintaining, reusing, remanufacturing, and recycling materials to create more value for future generations, and frankly, many other things. What is our foremost focus right now at Octopus? Just jumping back to you talking about the circular economy, honestly, this isn't a new topic. This isn't a new idea. This is what Indonesian farmers have been doing for hundreds of years. And I realized that at the beginning of the pandemic, when I had time to really think about it, all I did when applying this formula to octopus was I just didn't want to have anything go to waste. You know, how do we create a system where nothing goes to the landfill? Everything gets recycled again. People get jobs. People get empowered. We maximize digitalization. We inform education. And it was just every angle, every part of the circular economy was in the mindset of nothing going to waste. Yeah, look, circular economy, like I said, is nothing new. We're just involved in continuing the passion to protect the Indonesian Ocean. Now tell us about this world of rubbish that you have willfully entered and talk specifically to us about garbage in Indonesia. How big is it? What are the largest contributors to the country's rubbish? The list is long. This is a huge problem here. There are many initiatives that are wonderful, you know, no single use plastics, no straws, beach cleanups and so forth. But is that really the solution? We have a huge problem here with the ocean, having a reputation of being polluted and whatnot. But 70% of the plastics and the rubbish you find in the ocean here is from the land or even house poles. So it comes back to the source. We really dissect and where it was all coming from and where we could strengthen. So 70% coming from households or the land was something that we really monitored and we um, not pointing any fingers because this is all still very heavily dependent on the private sector. Alan, this is a third world country. People have hard lives. People have two kids to have to feed, an in-law that's sick, a mortgage that isn't paid for. The last thing they want to think about is rubbish. They just want to have the house clean, get out the door, and that's it. So it's more of a behavior change that we're also involved in. We're not just selling a product here. We're selling a behavior change to change the mindset of post-consumer items. Understood. So as of 2022, what is the state of recycling in Indonesia? Can you share any facts and figures? 2022, yeah, look, there are several recycling industries already here, and they're very heavily dependent on the informal sector. The informal sector, meaning the local scavengers, the local waste pickers, and the problem here is recycling industries are receiving high rejection rate of items due to contamination, mix of items. So it's just due to the informal sector, which these are very simple people. This is a subclass of Indonesian society that aren't very well educated. And so this is also part of the problem that we decided to deep dive into is really cleaning up the informal sector. Understood. So I assume from what you've just shared that a very significant source of waste is from the cities. And I wanted to ask you, how exactly does Indonesia handle municipal waste? How much is sent to landfill? How much goes to recycling, composting, combustion with energy recovery, and so on? Yeah, that's a great question. Very relevant, very exciting prospects for all these organizations. There's several recycling industries that I was telling you about before. There's methane gas innovations, fertilizing companies coming through. 
all these wonderful ideas, which is all very dependent still on the private sectors. A lot of people doing great initiatives. So things are cooking up in Indonesia. That's great to hear. Now, the materials that our team reviewed in preparing for our discussion, covering great detail, Indonesia's traditional and offline supply chain. What are the biggest breakages and inefficiencies in Indonesia's waste collection process in your mind? This maybe just keep it simple. I think we have also understand the source because also households not segregating waste of their items. This is causing contamination, causing extra effort. It costs money when it's being handled to be recycled again. But we have to always pinpoint where it's coming from, the source. If that could be fixed up, there'd be a whole new change. Understood. Okay. So that's where a significant part of the problem resides. And next question, obviously, how exactly are we trying to fix these problems at Octopus? With Octopus, we have empowered this informal sector. We provide training, we provide education. Previously, waste pickers that are scavenging through the waste and getting their hands dirty. I was just so sick of a system that didn't exist. A subclass of who I thought were the local heroes that weren't accepted to society. So decided to really sit down and think about this properly over the months that we had during the pandemic. And the first thing I did was change the name from Pomulung, which means the scavenger, we changed it to Palastari. We rebranded it called Palastari. Palastari meaning Good Samaritan or environmentalist. We gave them uniforms, they have smartphones, they can go into gated communities, they can go into households. Previously, when you have rubbish or households have waste, they put it in a basket and they leave it outside their house and they expect the local waste pickers to come pick it up or the Evte, which is like the local town hall organization to come pick up your waste. And that's it. You leave it outside, it'll be picked up. You bring back in the house an empty basket. Now, for the first time with our empowered polastaris, they are going inside the house. They are saying hello, good morning. They're segregating the waste. They're picking it up and they are interacting with households for the first time. And also, they're earning much more. They're all about minimum wage salary now. We created a job segment during the pandemic with a lot of people that were, that were jobless. There were a lot of people who got pay cuts. And so we created a whole new job segment. So this was something really exciting for us. We decided that, you know what, it's actually something that can work because the best way to motivate anybody, not just in a third world country, but no, anybody is to get an extra income. So this was something realistic, relevant, and very accepted. Gotcha. Now, elevating and empowering the heroes at the bottom of the pyramid, that is really intense imagery. Now, Hamish, we talk about tracking being critical to our value proposition. Tell us more about that. The whole world was going towards digitalization. So we created apps in our ecosystem from households to waste collectors to the local junkyards, and we were able to track all the items per piece being collected and handled by our ecosystem. So this was allowing us to be able to create a real-time dashboard, which had accurate data, data, which is valuable for any sort of marketing consumer behavior organization. This is very valuable info. Just the real time, whereabouts, the brand, the size, who's consuming it. This kind of information is vital for the reporting for a lot of brands here. And are we talking about extremely granular piece by piece tracking? That would seem pretty cumbersome. Or are we talking about tracking in a broader sense? There are new rules and regulations where FMCG brands have to be accountable for about 30% of what they are generating here. And there has to be proper reporting systems. But previously, I just saw a bit of a gray area there. People used to take photos of a big sack 
And we don't know what's in the sack or if the sack's been taken photos several times. And that's why we started off by handling piece per piece, not by ton, not by sack, by piece. With it was separated, we can understand the brand, we can understand the chemical compound and the whereabouts, the time that it was picked up. And all this information goes right into our live dashboard. So after a while, it's become a, a big part of what we do. Fantastic. Now, rejection rate seems to be an extremely important metric. You referenced it at the very beginning of our discussion. And I see in our marketing literature that we can drive a rejection rate decrease from 48%, which seems to be the prevailing levels, to below 1%. How exactly do we do that? How crazy is that? Waste collector is doing hard work for three days. He hasn't eaten. And then half of it's rejected. Again, this was the hole that we saw. All it took was giving the subclass of people the time of day to educate them, to talk them through what was this, what was that, how to care, how to pick the items and, and just giving them an opportunity of time of day. And so it was just spending time with them. We have classes, we have training courses to become our polystatics, which you can complete in half a day. And it was just the time of day. It was just, it was very exciting for us to really just help the class of people that have never been thought about. It was something so simple. And after that, everything just snowballed. Here in Indonesia, we love to help. People love the zero to hero story. And within a space of 12 months, we've made 14,000 subclass people, middle class, because they're also earning above minimum wage salary. So this was exciting moments for us. Fantastic. But the critical element here is educating the handler in segregating the trash properly. Is that one of the biggest triggers to driving down this rejection rate? Yes. Segregating and just making sure there's no contamination and just being able to understand what they're handling. Understood. Now, Hamish, what is Octopus's current geographic coverage in Indonesia? And what factors do we take into account when we think about expansion of that coverage? We are currently in Makassar, Bali, Bandung, and we just launched into Jakarta two months ago. Why we started in Makassar? It's because it was the eastern part of Indonesia, and we figured that with the demographics and the way of life there, if we can introduce digitalization and this whole service-based sort of circular economy out there, we can bring that business model anywhere in Indonesia. You have to understand, to come into the city would be easier than to go the other way around. I also grew up in Bali, so then we decided to try and penetrate Bali, and then we had so many requests to come to Jakarta, but we just weren't ready because this was still a small idea. This was still a small idea between my partner and I, the CEO of Octopus and I, and we're just like, you know what? We're just not ready to check on Jakarta. There's more people here than the whole of Australia. We went to Bandung with support from the government of Bandung. And then finally we got support and we were able to come and penetrate Jakarta full force. Understood. And a basic question, how exactly do we make our revenues? We have two ways of making revenue here, which is reverse logistics. We collect and we supply high quality recyclables to the recycling industry. And the next is we sell data information to FMCG brands. Let's talk about those two lines of business. Can you pick out an Octopus customer who is paying us for our data collection service and exactly how they're using that offering? We have a great partnership with Danone, Danone Aqua. We have a great partnership with PNG. We're in discussion with Nestle. We customize our services for each brand, each client. So let's say company Allen. You would like us to just pick up your bottles. You would like me to pick up just your brand. Let's just say two, three, five tons a month. 
along the way, you would like me to collect your information on who's and the whereabouts and the size and all the information that you need. We can make criteria according to what you want. So this is where it becomes helpful for brands to get involved with Octopus. Let's talk about the logistics side. Once again, is there a major customer relationship that might serve as a good example of this logistics business? Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, in other cities, Makassar, Bali, Bandung, you have to understand the informal sector are plus parties. These guys are walking on foot and sometimes it might take an hour for them to walk to your house, sometimes two, three. However, in Jakarta, the capital city of Indonesia, not everybody has the time of day to wait around. People are very <laughs> impatient. They want instant results, which is fair enough. So we've collaborated with Grab. And Grab have been helpful in assisting us to pick up items from e-waste to all the items on our catalog within half an hour. So we can pinpoint, let's just say you got to pick up a fridge, they'll send a car. We also have affiliated partners that we can pick up whatever you have, but we have to really sharpen up the logistics here in Jakarta and make sure that people aren't waiting half a day just to get their items picked up. It's an interesting example. Big picture question for you, Hamish. How do the public and private sectors collaborate, if at all, in circular economy efforts such as ours? Simple question, but I could go on for days on this one. We do not need to make new items. We do not need to make new bottles anymore. There's enough items at households and businesses and in the public for us to collect and to recycle again. You know, if we could get support for the recycling industry by adding taxes on virgin material items, Lowering the price of recycled goods on the supermarket shelf life, this would be a huge help, a huge benefit to the environment here. And like I said, we do not need to make new virgin material items anymore here in Indonesia. I feel like there just needs to be a bit more focus on that in order to be on top of this waste problem that we're facing. I assume you're at the front lines in that effort. Are you hopeful that the government does come around and respond to some of these concerns? Yeah, definitely. All the government here are doing the best that they can. And they're very aware of it. And it's very exciting times at the moment. The G20 is taking place here in Indonesia, and it's an opportunity for us all to really take part in being part of a change. Fantastic. Hamish, thanks so much for educating us around the circular economy opportunity within Indonesia. The problem statement is clearly absolutely massive, which means that the potential opportunity is similarly huge. Um, personally looking forward to seeing Octopus's progress and its mission to repurpose the country's waste. Thanks again for joining. All the best, Alan. We'll talk soon. We hope our listeners have enjoyed today's episode. As always, please consider sharing any feedback that you have about the Indo Techno podcast with us. Terima kasih. Sampai jumpa lagi.